everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Wild Connection. You know, we spent the last two weeks talking about COP26, what was working, what was not likely to work, and how we feel about it. And now, this week, I'm really excited to bring to you a really optimistic, fun, hopeful, joyful, and inspiring story. This week features Professor Ruth Mendelssohn, composer, instrumentalist, producer, arranger, editor, and now writer. She's written award-winning scores for film and television, and she teaches at Berkeley College of Music. And the book she's written is a fantastical, multi-dimensional treasure hunt fairy tale for the kid in all of us. That's right. It's not just for your children for Christmas. It's for you for Christmas. And this book, it's called The Water Tree Way, and it will positively alter your trajectory through the world, pointing you towards joy, success, and love. And it's got a wonderful forward by none other than Dr. Jane Goodall. Welcome to Wild Connection, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Vertolin, but you can call me Dr. Jen. I'm a scientist and author that studies animal behavior. I'm passionate about animals, and I love helping people reconnect with nature to live better lives. This podcast is about you, other animals, and how we are connected in this wild and crazy thing called life. You can get the show notes and more on my website, jenniferverdelin.com, or on the podcast website, Wild Connection, the podcast, hosted by Podbean. If you like the show, please subscribe to it so you never miss an episode. All right, before we get to our guest, Dr. Ruth Mendelson and her wonderful book, The Water Tree Way, I just want to uh, let you guys know that we are going to be starting soon our Women in Science series, thanks to our sponsor, the American Geophysical Union, and the grant we got for Sharing Science. And that's going to start in January and run all the way to International Women and Girls Day in Science in mid-February. So looking forward to bringing those women to you and this woman to you. All right, let's get our podcast started. Hey, everybody. I am so excited to welcome author Ruth Mendelson to the show. She's much more than just an author and we'll hopefully get to talk about all of those things, but she wrote an amazing, whimsical, fantasy, uh, lesson-packed book for kids of all ages, which means it's not just children, it's us too, us adults who might've lost a touch of that magic along the way um, to reconnect with that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be talking with you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and, and your book is called The Water Tree Way. And mm -hmm. I had the real pleasure of reading this fairy tale treasure hunt, I think is one of the ways that you describe it. And, you know, I know you've done a lot of other things, and so we're going to talk about those hopefully. But I'm curious, is this your first novel? It is my very first novel. I never intended to write a novel. I'm a film composer. I write music for films. So this was the last thing I thought I was going to do. But over the course of 30 years of living and traveling a lot through the desert and just amazing life experiences and many realms of life, this book just insisted on being written. So, wow. 
Well, you know, I know your music creates feeling and emotion. It has to when you're composing for films and, and other types of, of media. You know, what was it like for you to switch mediums and use the power of words rather than the power of notes? It was seamless for me, really, um, because it's all story. Like writing music for films is, is all about sonically supporting story. So the, the, it, it's all story, whether, whatever the modality, if it's, if it's sonically through music, if it's sonically through words to me, they're, 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 that was a very effortless transition. Okay. Now you said that over the past 30 years, this sort of story, you know, came out. Does that mean it took you this long to write this book? That's exactly right. I, I mean, it just, because I've been doing so much outside, like, you know, scoring films, teaching um, doing a lot of humanitarian work globally with kids in war zones, you know, there, there's life um, um, amongst life's experiences. This book was always there asking to be tended to. So when I had spare time, I would really dig in. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I would sit every day for 30 years. It wasn't really like that, but you know, there were a couple of times where, you know, there would be like a chunk of years that would go by where I just didn't have time for it, but it still wasn't finished. Well, and I wonder how much of that being able to take that time allowed you to integrate even more of of the pieces of wisdom. There's so much wisdom in this book and we're going to we're going to I can't wait to kind of dig into that. I'm mm -hmm. curious, though, then was it something that was always sort of niggling at your brain or was it something that would go quiet sometimes and then come back kind of roaring for attention? That's a really good question. I think the creative process in general can be really fervent and then relatively quiet. So when it was, when the, certainly when the inspiration was there, I would work on it, but there was always this gnawing awareness that I had to finish it. But there were times when it, that would just be physically not possible. Right. So I would just have to be content with, you know, just setting it aside. But I know like just in terms of the creative process, I, I don't know if you, if this is, if you can relate to this one, but you know, sometimes it's just, it's really good to when working on whatever the creative project is, whatever the modality is to, to, you know, you work on it and then, you know, set it aside and let it just simmer for a little while and then revisit it because the perspective is always going to be different when you set things aside for, you know, a minute. Right. And that that helps in just clarifying, does this does this really work? Does this really say what I am intending to say in the case of the book? Is it colorful and fun enough? Because there's some pretty deep lessons in there that need to be escorted through some fun. I, I like the, Yeah, I like the way you use the word escorted through some fun, because that's exactly what you do. I mean, on the creative side, I feel sometimes like sometimes I feel frustrated because I have sometimes a bunch of books bouncing around in my head, right? Like begging to come out, you know, mm -hmm. they're there. I, I, so I have to write down these ideas. I have titles for all kinds of things. And occasionally I feel frustrated that I don't have the time to, oh. to sort of cultivate that idea and, and grow that idea. And then I think, okay, well, it's just there. And maybe it's not the right time for that idea. What you do know? you, so, so what do you do? Like when you are, when you, when you're bombarded with ideas, cause I totally understand that one. Okay. Um, 
So what do you do? Like, like, uh, how do, how do you, how do you put us like, what do you do? What's yeah. So it depends. Sometimes I'm like a, an entire outline of a, of a book will just download and I don't know where it comes from, but I have it. And then I, yeah. so I, I, I at least, uh, I, I feel this need to like release it so I can like breathe. And so I'll sit down and I will literally just dump the outline and, mm-hmm. and then feel relieved. Like, oh, okay. All right. That's out of my head. Okay, good. It's over there. It's secure now. I haven't lost the the thread. And sometimes that's all I get. And then I'm okay. Like uh, I can rest that idea and let it germinate. And, and ironically, you know, it was just, uh, there was this, this outline that poured out of me, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And, but I didn't feel compelled to go deeper yet. Like I didn't feel motivated. So if I don't follow it through with motivation or drive or then I don't worry about it. I just go, okay, it's there. Mm-hmm. And at some point it'll either become more than that or it won't. Yeah. And, and then I was interviewing, um, uh, Lee McIntyre. He's an author who wrote a book about how to talk to science deniers. And I said something in our interview about other animals and whether or not they engage in self delusion. <laughs> And he said, that's an amazing question. You should write a book about that. And it actually happened to tie to the outline from a decade ago. And I was, no you know, and now there you go. I, now I'm like just super energized to, yeah. you know, so, that's- so sometimes I feel frustrated. Sometimes I feel restless uh, when I can't pursue an idea as fast as I want, but usually, I don't know. I just let it flow. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, I get overwhelmed, you know, with with impulses to focus my attention sometimes. Huh. I hear that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For me, I am, you know, it's I mean, over time, what I've learned is just, you know, when I get an idea, I write I I notate it somehow. And then I'm just going to trust that it's going to light up when the time is right. If I don't have time for it right then that's, I've really learned that's fine. There, I have an, a, a, an envelope of just scraps of paper with yes. like, now this is more like for music. I, I'll just, you know, there are times when music will just ride in like these days. Now I just sing stuff into my phone immediately. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I'll just, cause I, I have voice memos. I have hundreds of voice memos to myself that are just melodies and and describing how harm, harmonies and textures and rhythms need to go. But before that, I used to just write stuff on, on scraps of paper and I tossed everything into this huge, what's now this overstuffed envelope. And just a couple of years ago, I was working on a film score and there was this idea that came through back in 1981. <laughs> right. Right. And it was the perfect line for this film I was working on in, you know, at the time, I think it was, it was a couple of years ago. So maybe 2019. So, you know. Yeah. I, I have an idea box. I put those scraps of paper where I've, I've written stuff down in the past. Now, like you, I'll, I'll just, uh, if I go walking, cause I like to go walking and when I walk stuff just comes mm-hmm. and and I just start recording it into my phone. So like you, I have random notes of uh, thoughts and every now and then I, I screen through, I scroll through them and, you know, 
But so, okay. So I love this sort of conversation about allowing things to emerge, knowing that there's a timing for that, because in many ways that even connects to the story um, of the water tree way. And, you know, one of the things that I have to say before we start talking about Jay, the, the lovely character and heroine of, of the story is well, I appreciate it. I mean, I'm a biologist and I connect with nature and this show is called Wild Connections, which is about how we can reconnect with nature. And there are so many elements of nature embedded in the story from the leaves to the trees to birds, uh, even rocks and, and other creatures. And yeah. it features so prominently in there. Why yeah. was that such a great vehicle for you for the story? I think that's because that's how I experience nature. So, you know, to that degree, some of this is just downright autobiographical. But I, I think that nature is speaking to us. Nature, nature is guiding us. Um, there definitely are. Um, there's a. I mean, this is stating the obvious, but even at the crudest level, there's life force in nature. There's rhythm in nature and there's certainly healing in nature that's balanced and and nature is a profound teacher. Um, all you have to do is watch one single plant and see how it grows. And you can learn everything about life just from watching that from a seed, you know, <laughs> everything you need to know. So um, so that was just a natural process for me. I mean, I do spend a lot of time alone in nature and with the emphasis of being alone in nature, like I I mean, I like to spend time with my partner out in nature and out with friends in nature, but there's a whole different thing that happens. I know I'm, this is not exclusive to me at all. Um, there's a whole other thing that happens being alone in nature in terms of there's a medicine available. It's so subtle though, that that's why for me, it's important to be alone because then I'm not distracted by conversations that are outside of myself. It's, it's nature's this huge open door invitation to go deeply within. Right. And nature has its own conversation. And if you're not alone, you have a hard time listening to it. Exactly. Right. It, because it, it, yeah. <laughs> everything is every, I mean, this is the thing, even in the quietest of places, I find that it's really quite noisy at yes. another level. Right. If you, exactly. pay if you pay attention, if you're still enough, you realize, oh, there's, wait, what's that noise? Oh, it's this bug over here crawling on this leaf, making a noise. There's a bird over there. There's the sound of water somewhere. There's a tree leaf falling. And, mm. and, and there's this entire conversation that nature is having that you can kind of eavesdrop in on. Absolutely. And then the more you're in it, the more it reveals to you. That's my yeah. experience. Like yeah. even... Oh, oh, no, go ahead. Even. Well, I was going to say, even like, I mean, for me, like when I go and, and do these trips, I haven't done this since COVID, which has been a challenge for me because my my go to has been to go out to the the deserts in the southwest. I mean, that's that's been my app. I live in on the East Coast and um, that that works well for me for certain kind aspects of life, but 
to really get away and unplug, like really unplug where there's just you and 400 miles of land in all directions. That's not easy to uh, accomplish out on the East Coast. The ocean is here, which I love. But even that, you know, there are I can be in an abandoned beach, but there's still at least a couple people around. And, you know, that's that's okay. And I'm you know, everybody needs to do what they need to do to, you know, you know, to be out there. So um, but to really be I mean, genuinely like alone, um, it's a precious that's a precious place for me. And so, um, yeah, but a lot of times, you know, doing those trips, because I, at least before COVID was going out, you know, three to five times a year for decades for, you know, anywhere from 10 days to five weeks at a pop whenever I could. Mm -hmm. And um, animals start to come up to you after a while, you know? They do, yeah. You know, because you just, you become part of the landscape. And there's this whole other entrainment that happens, you know? Yeah. So that relationship is, it was effortless to find inspiration for the book in characters and nature. I mean, and then my imagination kind of amped it up a little bit. And sure. You know, you, but. Yeah. Do you remember any particular encounter with another animal that did make its way into the book? Oh, that's a, there were encounters with some people actually who made their ways into the book. Um, But there were, there were images that came trumpeting into my consciousness while I was out in the middle of what would be considered absolutely nowhere. Yeah. Um, That, that, in my inner guidance, I was told this has to, this is a major component of this book. And then it was for me to um, like detective work, figure out how that all fit in over time. Let's talk about the water tree way. And I I briefly mentioned Jay, you know, she's the central character. Um, And, and early on we, we learned that she's um, lost her mother and Mm -hmm. Um, and that she has a best friend and she's receiving messages from the water trees. So yeah. what are, what is the symbolism of the water trees? Like what is their relationship to kind of the narrative of the story? Okay. And without giving it all away. Right. We I, don't want to give it all away. Right. Uh, yeah. But the, <laughs> the water trees, th- that is one of those things that came to me in the desert. Like even the way they look, the way why they're called water trees, which is I'm just going to leave that as an open, fun mystery. Why are they called water trees for a very specific reason? But that particular image um, that's described in the book came to me point blank in the desert, which is kind of funny because it was completely arid there. Right. But right. (laughs) um, But what they represent is wisdom, pure wisdom. They're like the. They're like the the grandparent figures that every child really needs and deserves. Okay, and and I won't give it all away, but there is this, you know, she gets a message to go on a great adventure and they feature sort of prominently in this um, adventure that she has to undertake. She has some obstacles to overcome, not only before she can go on this great adventure, but during the great adventure, and there's some, but there's some rules 
that she's given. And one of the things I want to talk about is this rule of saying goodbye. So yeah. she has to say goodbye. And and yeah. so so can you tell me a little bit about what the importance of that and the message behind being able to say goodbye? Because I had my own sort of interpretation, but, you know, I'd love to hear from you. I think anytime any one of us wants to grow in life in a way that is going to be particularly spectacular, what what life doesn't always tell you, but that what everyone eventually finds out is that within that fulfillment is going to be challenge. If you want more success, you're also going to have more challenges. I mean, that's just in any endeavor. That's just part of how life works to explore the unknown, which is what she's what she's yearning to do. She's this character is a very, very eager, adventurous, fervently curious character, which I think many most children, they just come that way. They, you know, depending on the things they experience that that, that doesn't always uh, a lot of children aren't necessarily given the opportunity for that to last as long as um, I think it deserves to, but, um, but she's insatiably curious, but if you want to explore the unknown, you have to let go of the known. I mean, you're connected to the, it's not to be ungrounded, you know, so it's not to just throw every cast, everything to the wind and just, you know, but there are certain things in order to grow each one of us has things we need to let go of. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, from being as, I mean, as, as blatant an example of like when, when the body grows, you have to give up your own clothing because you don't fit into it anymore. Well, uh, and, and I felt like you have to give up, uh, you have to say goodbye to old ideas to embrace new ones. You absolutely. have to be willing to say goodbye to what you perceive as security in your life. If you're going to, experience new things or as you put it grow you can't grow if you are so attached to or cling to you know what feels safe exactly exactly and that's the thing that in the in the culture that i mean it's a very uncertain world now so even i had to actually rewrite the end of the book Maybe we'll get to that. I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I had to rewrite the end of the book because uh, I had a different end altogether. And it left it, it ended on a very fun, but very uncertain note. But then COVID happened. And there's so much uncertainty in the world right now. Not that, you know, it, it was no longer appropriate. It was actually Jane Goodall who wrote the foreword, who I work with a lot. Mm-hmm. She actually, she, I mean, she was, she's a very, very dear friend and, and, a, a, and I'm, you know, very honored to say she's also a colleague now. And so, um, but she, she volunteered to write the foreword, which just blew my brain because she's so busy, but she right. really loved the book. And so I sent her the, my final manuscript and she said, oh, you forgot the last chapter. And I'm like, no, I didn't. It's that you, you have everything. And she said, well, you can't, you know, she said, you can't end it like this. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know what happens to da, 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 da. Right. And so I went back and wrote an epilogue, which was, you know, it, she, which was she was right. She was totally right. 
But anyway, I'm just got off on a way tan. <laughs> no, no. I mean, but you know, what's interesting is I've noticed that, well, I think what this has revealed and I had already noticed it, you know, what we might, um, I know you are, you are teaching at, at Berkeley college. Uh, and, yeah. and so we can talk about that, you know, a little later, but I've noticed for many years now that it seems like younger people are less comfortable with uncertainty and yes. right. And, and, and now with the pandemic, it, it has like, it's like uncertainty, you know, on steroids and it's making all of us uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. And yet there's something in order to grow, we all have to take risks. So where is that balance? That's one of the reasons why, you know, it's it's really interesting because I be, when the pandemic hit, my film work really slowed down, which I was grateful for because it gave me a chance to just chill out, um, just stop for a minute. And that gave me the time to really, you know, get the book out there. Um, but I I couldn't have imagined at all how important this book would be or how because it, it's it's helping a lot of people. It's very humbling. But the whole thing about balancing, yeah, safety, correct. But in order to have a happy life, in order to know yourself, we have to take risks. We, we have to. If it's only about safety. It, it, it doesn't it just it doesn't work. Right. It, I no, mean, it's no, yeah. No and I yeah. liken it to there's this little river of misery that's just running in the background of your life. Right. <laughs> that sometimes is barely perceptible. So you think everything's OK. And sometimes it it's a whitewater rapid that's, you know, really painful, which kind of brings me to Jay's father. You know, I want to talk about him for a minute because he represented to me how. You know, I mean, if you experience a lot of uncertainty when you're growing up or a lot of, um, you know, difficult circumstances, you can become really wounded and disillusioned and and you give up on sort of your most magical dreams. And part of the inspiration for me in this book was to rekindle that, right, reignite that for those of us who might have lost it and encourage that in others who still have it. But sometimes, you know, we have someone outside of us that's trying to dim our light because of their own wounds. Yeah, most people. <laughs> yeah, but we also, we do it to ourselves. We have our own sort of, you know, yeah. voice in our head that's doing that. And have you ever found yourself struggling to to stay kind of connected to your own great adventure? Oh, absolutely. A abs absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, a place in the book where she gets lost on her, you know, and that was completely, in, I mean, inspired by inner recollection of getting lost myself. You know, I couldn't have written that portion if I hadn't experienced some aspect of that. But I think that that's the journey. It's like, what do you do when you get lost? Ah! You know, what what right. do we do? How do we get back on track? Because it's not about um, it, it's it's not about not getting lost. It's not about anything like that. And that's, a, I think that too is an important lesson just because, you know, what is emphasized. And I got to say this also as a college teacher, because I've been teaching college, I don't know, like 25, 23 years, something like that now, I think at Berkeley. 
um, which I love. I get to design master classes and it's all compassion based education. Maybe we'll have a chance to talk about that because it's really cool. But um, but I but it's just um, school teaches. This is global, not just one particular school, but, you know, the educational system can te- it's very, very product oriented. Now it's, yeah, I mean, cool. That's important to be able to achieve, but it's not nearly as important as the beauty of just the process itself. That needs to, I I think it, it would, everybody, I think that I know would be far happier in, in, if we all really knew that, that, you know, there are things that happen in life for us to accept, not to resist things we might not want to see happen, things that can be painful, but that there is a value in some of those lessons. As long as we learn from them, there's that part. Um, but that, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting lost. It's part of life. It's just how, how what, what do you do then? Right. You know, if you fall into a ditch, do you just sit there and cry or do you get up and get your way out? Yeah, well, and some people do fall in a ditch and never come out. I know, you know, right. And, but that's part of also part of the, you know, hopefully, um, I mean, I have been getting feedback from people that it's really been helping them in in instances like that, just getting them out of a rut. Yeah. You know, because the thing is being in a rut is natural. It's just, but so is getting out of the rut. That's the part, you know, there are parts of our nature that I think are getting forgotten that we just need to be reminded of. You know, there is a resilience of spirit within each of us. Yeah. I mean, it's innate. Every single one of us is born with that somewhere. So it's just kind of, you know, like, like blowing the fire up, you know, just like fanning the flame a little bit to to remember oneself a bit. Yeah. Well, and, you know, other animals, they get in ruts, too. I mean, or routines, right? They get in routines. So there might be a difference, a slight difference between a rut and a routine. You know, routine is good, but then, you know, they also make adjustments if they are sort of sampling their environment and they're not getting their needs met. uh, And we could define our needs however we want. We could define it as our need for joy, our need for growth, our need for connection, our need for adventure, uh, our need for resources. Right. And so, so I don't know what causes some, I study prairie dogs to say, you know what, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to strike out here and, and I'm going to, you know, face the perils of this journey. I don't know where I'm going. I'm going to head in this direction and, and some make it and some don't, but, but some, you know, really are the, the, we call them the sort of dispersers. They're the, the bold ones. They go out and, and, and seed new, um, areas or new populations or new, you know, uh, new groups. They belong, they join new groups. They leave their home, they leave their comfort, they leave their security and they leave what they know. And I had, uh, J.J. Lanham, uh, uh, an ornithologist on, and he said, sometimes, you know, the pain of of not changing has to become so great that it forces yeah. us to change. And, yeah. and so, I, you know, what I love is that your your book, The Water Tree Way, can sort of allow people to experience some of those elements through the story 
and yeah. maybe motivate them if they have found themselves sort of stuck in the mud, lost, um, you know, to, to get out. I also, you know, when she went on this journey and I, I'm not, I don't want to give away too many parts, but this really, I, this really stuck with me. <laughs> I know, okay, so go, much go. stuck with me. Okay. So she, on, as she, as she was preparing for her and, you know, well, I will say, I think everybody's going to pick up on different pieces and you could reread this book at different times in your life and pull out something else. So the things that struck me may not be the things that really jump out for someone else. And this is the other beautiful thing about this book. Um, I really liked how she was thoughtful about what to bring on this adventure. Um, and you know, like some of us, uh, pack over pack for our trips. Uh, right. I interpreted it as a lesson about carrying things forward that are meaningful so that we're not lugging around a ton of baggage, emotional or material as we go forward. And it's sort of tied to the saying goodbye. You know, sometimes we have to say goodbye to people, places, things, um, and, and knowing the value of things to bring forward to the next part of your adventure. So, um, Hmm. so that, thank you for that comment. That's really cool. That, that, that really (laughs) struck me. Um, (laughs) I think it's the innocence of her character though, too, because there was no way for her to be able to foresee some of the absolute magnificence and some of the real dangers that she was getting ready to face. So you know, in a, in her own, from her own experience, there really wasn't much to take with her. You know, that that's one of innocence by its nature is light. You know, it's very light. Right. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, um, I guess, you know, I think that one of the things I'm wondering is what, what can you share for people about, I mean, if you've been stuck at times in your life or found yourself in a predicament like the STEM, uh, which is this, well, all right, I'll save that for a little bit later. Um, but, <laughs> but so, so, you know, what can people do, you know, I mean, when they read the book and they might be inspired and they might have ideas, you know, we're really encouraged sort of in a society to conform, uh, to, yes. to shut yeah. down our light. Um, and I think yeah. what the pandemic has done is made people stop and take a good look and go, Hey, wait a minute. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Exactly. What am I doing? And what and am what, I doing? A huge opportunity for all of us to introspect. Like what, what am I doing? What do I want to carry forward? What am I really done with? You know, I mean, it's a great opportunity for all of us. I really feel now I can say that because I'm not living in a slum where there is COVID where there, there's no place to quarantine. You know, I, I can say, but, but many of us are in this position of, you know, relative global luxury. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not saying that it's been easy for everyone, but, you know, to have the opportunity to just, you know, really think about like, what are we doing? Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the greatest less blessings, actually gifts of this. If I can say that, you know, I I've said this before. I've always felt that COVID is like it's nature's way of sending all of us to our rooms to think about what we've done. 
Well, and how, right. And how many of us are going to come out of that room and, and think about doing something different. And some of us are stuck in the, you know, like the obligation of taking care of family, of having Mm -hmm. to work the job and, and they're, you know, don't have the luxury to stop and, and ponder, you know, which I think when you said a sort of global luxury, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that you've done a lot of humanitarian work and, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, how much of, of your, of your book is sort of tied to what you've seen and the humanitarian work you've done in other places. And can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, And it's a good question because it's all, all of it is tied together. Really. There is a portion There's a section, it goes by relatively quickly in the book where she's in a war. And that was directly um, informed by some of the work that I do with children in war zones. And so this is a completely different project, but I, is it okay to talk about this for just Absolutely, please. All right, cool. And also I just want to transgress just because you were talking about how to get out of a rut. Yeah. You know, that's, When we can remember who we really are deep on the inside, we are, I don't care who says what, we're all pure light anyway. There's, we are full of love and innocence, deep, deep, deep. It's deep in there. Like it might've been covered up with, you know, all kinds of crap, who knows? But when, when that can just be revealed, it's not that even all that needs to change is a slight shift in perspective as to who we really are. I think ruts are often created by regret. Hmm. Oh, wow. Now, who doesn't regret having done something, said something? Everybody, everybody, because it's just part of life. You make mistakes. Okay, right. But then what do you do? You know, it's like if every, it, okay, wow, I was not planning on talking about this, but I'm just going to say this. There's one time, okay, I was out in Arizona. I had just seen a sacred site plowed and it was like being hit in the gut. I mean, it literally like hurt my body to, I just, there was a bulldozer plowing a sacred site. I, I never, it was, I, I can't, I don't have words to describe what that experience was for me. So I was just basically the next day, saying to the universe at large, I've just seen some of the worst that human beings can do. I now need to today, I need to see something better today that a human can do for my mental balance. I need to see something good humanly today. Right. Right. So this is cool. I was not planning on talking about this at all. I haven't even (laughs) thought about this all. Okay. So, all right. So what happened was, so I'm hiking, right? I'm out where I am. And I'm hiking, I'm, I'm climbing a boulder. I look down and I am not kidding you. There is this elder, native elder, full buckskin, full headdress, praying with his eyes closed. So I'm like, oh, okay. I have to like, I have to be really quiet. <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> tiptoeing, you know, trying to <laughs> tiptoe past it, you know, like, and then I'm, I'm leaving and from, from below, I hear this, hey, and I turn around, he's right there. And, and I say, Hey, and he said, you're late. <laughs> well, I, no, I, was like, I, I said, I, I'm not late. I'm, I'm right on time, you know? <laughs> and then he, he told me that he was preparing himself to, to perform a 
crow wedding ceremony? And um, would I be his assistant? So these things happen out in the desert. I mean, I've had tons of experiences of just, you know, very, you know, spontaneous, profound things happen with people that I will never, ever see ever again, most probably anyway. But anyway, so he we 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 talked for a while. It was just a very friendly, easy. It was just easy, just total flow. He handed me his medicine bag, which was just a real honor. And he said, OK, when it's time, I'm going to ask you to hand me my bag. And then 15 minutes later, this wedding party comes up over the ridge. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm in a jean and everybody's like, you know, in their full regalia and I'm in a jeans, you know, jeans, t-shirt and my baseball cap. And I'm like trying to, you know, kind of like, like, like pat down my hair, trying to get myself together somehow. I was not thinking this was going to happen that day. You know, I didn't have anything other than what I was wearing. So um, he hand, he, he introduced me as his assistant and then he asked me to hand him his medicine bag, which I did. And then he, um, that's how I learned the, these medicine vows. These are wedding vows. Okay. okay. So the, the man, the man and the woman look at one another, assuming it's that kind of marriage. I don't think that it's, you know, in this instance, it was a man and a woman getting married. So, okay. So um, they look into each other's eyes and repeat the same words to one another. These are the wedding vows. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. I promise to love myself. I promise to forgive myself. I promise to forgive my enemies. For only in doing these things can I love myself. And only in loving myself can I love you. And then you're married. So like this, right? Regret, you know, ruts. It was such that moment, those principles, like to commit to loving oneself, you want to get unstuck, commit to loving yourself, forgiving yourself for whatever you've done. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying this is this is, you know, helpful. Right. You know, forgiving someone else doesn't mean condoning, you know, and I think a lot of people get that one mixed up. It doesn't forgiving has nothing to do with condoning bogus behavior or dangerous behavior or criminal behavior for that matter. It's not condoning any of it. It's just release relinquishing the burden of anger. You know, they say that, you know, remaining angry at someone who's hurt you is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right. Well, and, you know, it's really interesting because, well, so, so first I just want to acknowledge, thank you for sharing those vows because what that really to me speaks is I'm making a commitment to take care of myself so that I can still show up the right way in this relationship. Exactly. Because the whole point of a relationship is to develop your own best self anyway. When it comes to forgiveness of others. I mean, so, so she experiences and and many people experience darkness and violence, right. In, in our, our lives and that violence, we can perpetrate it on ourselves, but, but it's often perpetrated by others, physical violence, psychological, and even spiritual violence. I mean, I remember 
Marianne Williamson. I used to listen to her talks years ago. And and, and in one of them, she said that, you know, uh, this kind of spiritual violence could be like somebody coming into your house and just like pouring black paint all over your walls. And that there was something disingenuous about saying there wasn't any rage involved with when violence happens to you, whatever level. Right. And so how can we, how can we navigate those situations to, to forgive and to let go? And how does the character in the book learn to cope with however brief her journey in her journey, it was, how do we cope with violence or war or aggression? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that, these are really good questions. I mean, some of this, and I'm, I, I, I'm really happy. It's a great conversation. So I'm going to answer it, but I'm also going to say that there are solutions that are really offered in this book that, that are particular to how that voice works. So I'm not going to quote the book right now because okay. that's, you know, you know, that's already in there. But what I can say is the thing about anger, anger is really an important it's it's if if there's a wrongdoing like anger for anger, rage is one thing anger that's like unjust behavior like to be okay for example if a woman is being raped on the street i would say it's appropriate to beat the guy up <laughs> and stop him you know i would say that that's you know that would be you know appropriate because it, not that it, I'm not condoning violence, da, da, da. I don't mean that, but I'm, I, but, but it's an important, it's an important thing in this world to know that it's, that it is good to point a finger at when something is wrong. And sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to point a strong finger if something is wrong. If, if the people are getting hurt, if the earth is getting hurt, if, if life is getting hurt, then it's purposeful to point at it and say it's wrong. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I think that the issue is if the anger link, it just stays there and spins around, then it becomes corrosive. That's different. I'm not, again, I'm not saying any of this is easy, but the, um, okay, I'm going to, I actually, all right. There's a God, this just popped into my brain. Can I share a story? Of course, this has, please. This has, to, this has nothing to do with the book. Okay? That's fine. Yeah, go ahead. It has to do with anger. Okay. Okay. So this is back in the days when there were what were called Dharmic Wars. So the, these were purposeful wars. We, we can't relate to it in this era we're in because there's nothing that resembles this. But back supposedly long, many civilizations ago, there used to be these wars where it was the, the warring factions would fight until a certain time of a day and then literally like play cards together or whatnot. And then the next day when it was wartime, again, they were killing each other. And then when when that bell rang and it was over, they would stop. And that was back in the day when women were off guards, you know, off off limits. Children were off limits. You know, it was just these these wars between these warriors for whatever reason. Okay. So there were two, the the story goes, there were two men that were assigned to each other to kill each other. And this war went on for years. So day after day, they tried to kill each other. Okay. Okay. That was their assignment basically. So, okay. 
Now, I'm not sure if this is going to make any sense, but I'm just going to say this. So one, finally, the day came where one of the warriors had the other one pinned to the ground and he had his 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 sword up in the air and he was getting ready to impale the guy. The guy he was pinned to the ground looked at him and spat him in the eye. And the guy who was about to impale him, who was on top, suddenly eased, put down his sword and he said, "Okay, that's enough. We're going to start again tomorrow. (laughs) <laughs> and the guy who, right. And the guy who was, who was about to be murdered, right, said, what are you talking about? We have been at this for years. You had me. Why are you not killing me? And the guy who stopped said, because when you spat at me, I got angry and I can't kill out of anger. I can only kill because it's the right thing to do. Oh, if I kill you out of anger, that's different. Yeah. That is a kind of an inconceivable story for the era that we're in right now. But the whole thing about anger, is it to is it in the name of is it in in the name of pointing at something that's wrong? That's that's appropriate. But if it's anger that is actually energy that's spilling out from an unhealed wound, then it's likely to just incur more violence. Yeah. And I, I find that people who are most angry at themselves are often the most violent <laughs> towards right. others. <laughs> exactly. So, so the antidote to all of that is love and compassion. Yeah. You know, more anger. If anger is like an like a like a pus filled, unhealed wound, then the, then it's not going to help anything to to get to perpetuate that anger again, though, I, I, this is, it's a very delicate conversation because I'm not talking about, and I don't think you're talking about either that in terms, well, I'll let you, I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I'm not talking about condoning crimes. I am not at all talking about that, but I am talking about ending a cycle. Ending a cycle can be done through loving compassion and also standing up for what's right. But I think we all need to be conscious of what's driving us. You know, if somebody um, is standing up for someone who's getting hurt, that actually is kind of like valor in a way, right? But if somebody is impaling someone because it reminds them of something and they're doing it because they're hurt themselves, then that's, that's a whole different, that's a whole different energy. Yeah. Well, and that's where I think it's so hard for people to forgive themselves um, Mm. or they don't know what that, you know, or they hold on to anger and it, like you said, it festers and it's just a poison to yourself and it affects your ability to go out and have a great adventure because, you know, no one wants to be around you or opportunities don't flow. You don't see the signs that are, leading you in directions to take new opportunities. And I've observed that even other animals, nature, they don't respond well to angry energy. And, and actually they do. They absolutely. In fact, I've told this story once before, but there was a, I used to volunteer at a, um, you know, I was either going to go study great apes or big cats. Those were my two sort of, um, yeah, I studied neither actually, but, <laughs> but that was, you know, that was my plan. And, <laughs> but, you know, plans change because different things happen and, sure. you, you know, so, but I was volunteering at a sanctuary for big cats and hmm. a, um, 
a, a keeper used to go in with these three younger tigers. There were three sisters. And yeah, yeah I never went in because I know better uh, than to go in <laughs> to a cage with some tigers. That, that sounded awfully judgy, but let's just say. No, I mean, no, I mean, no, it sounded smart, actually. <laughs> Thank you. So I kept all my, fing- I have all my fingers and toes. That's all yeah. I'm going to say. And, uh, you know, oh. but she went in, she was having a bad day. She had gotten into an altercation with someone oh. and she decided that she needed them to soothe her. The, the, what? the tigers. Yes. That, that Ooh. going in was going to soothe her. So she went in, in an agitated, aggra- oh. right. Aggressive energy from a different situation. And despite them having always interacted with her in a, you know, harmless way, all three yeah. of them attacked her. Is she okay? Yeah, she lived. Oh my God. Yeah, yes. she lived, but she got immediately, <laughs> immediately attacked. Right? Sure. Exactly. Because that, yeah. It, because it, right. it evokes sort of, I need to protect myself from this energy. And exactly. And that's like why, and the opposite is also true. Like the more peaceful you get, that's what I mean. Like in terms of going out alone in nature, and then eventually the animals start coming up to, to you or to me, mm-hmm. you know, because they're, when you're, when you're genuinely peaceful, they'll, you know, yeah. And the, the barriers go away. That's right. Uh, and I've had that experience too. I have not had the experience of, you know, being invited to participate in a wedding ceremony. <laughs> um, well, that was a one time gig. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> well, but, but there has to be something about you and your presence that invited that experience to you and, and being open to, um, meeting and talking with people or going into new spaces. And, you know, that's also part of the book is there's all of these encounters that your main character has, and there's an opportunity to embrace them, be fearful of them, um, Mm -hmm. you know, push through that, have the courage to go forward, um, navigate through mistakes. One thing that also stuck out for me that, you Mm -hmm. know, is kind of tied to this is as learning to ask for help. Which is a huge one for many people. That was a huge one for me. You know, I was very stoic. Really? Oh, yeah. You know, I'll do it myself. You know, well, you know, that that lasts, especially if you're (laughs) especially when you're in the wilderness alone, that lasts for maybe 30 seconds because you you have to be able to to um, count on everything to be an ally just to stay safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. But one thing that I, I, I just would like to say, because we're talking about some like, you know, in terms of these wounds and stuff, the thing that, that is the most important thing to that to me to remember with all of this is that there is healing in nature. You know, there's healing. It, it's not if you've if you've undergone real hardships and real pain, it's not a death sentence for you. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be that way. And there are things there, there are many different systems with human beings and there are definitely lots of different realms in nature that are just incredibly healing. I just want to, tra- can I transgress for just a second again? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. So I, I was at the UN in Geneva 
opening as a musician with I playing with the one human family gospel choir, great group. I've been touring with them forever. And so I play, I play bass with those guys. So um, we opened at the UN in Geneva. That's where I met Jane Goodall was, was there. And um, there was this Buddhist monk named Mai Chi from Thailand who was there. And every time she spoke, because as the musicians, we were, we were invited to go to any of the talks we wanted to go to. It was a peace summit. I went to everything. It was incredible. And so anyway, there was this, this monk, my chief, when she spoke and she didn't speak English, it didn't matter. It was like listening to flowers bloom. There was just <laughs> like the most amazing voice. And she said, she talked about, and she had a translator who also had an equally amazing voice. It, it, but this time in English. So, you know, I could actually, you know, understand the words. And she, and so what my chi was talking about was what they do in Thailand for women, for girls who are recovering from childhood prostitution. You know, I mean, let's let's talk about it then. You know, it's like, what do what do people go through in life? I mean, yeah, right. Routinely raped as a child. Right. Like right. that. So in Thailand, what she was saying, what they do or what she does in her um, center there is they they talk to the children about the trees that the when you when the tree, when you breathe your your the the air that you exhale feeds the trees and that's your way of loving the trees and when the trees breathe that in they create oxygen and that's the tree's way of loving you and they just have these girls sit by these trees and that's like the foundation of then their their healing work wow yeah and it's very 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 effective and helping these children to heal from unspeakable crime, you know? So there is, there is, it's all about love and forgiveness and compassion, all of it. And so, you know, all of it, everybody somewhere, either themselves or somewhere in their family line has gone through some, something awful, you know, and, you know, too many people, you know, it perpetuates until the cycle is broken. Right. But I really feel honestly, what's going to break that cycle is love and compassion. This is what the character in the book learns. Ultimately, you know, this is it's it's the it's the, the crux of everything and it's available to everyone. But in a world like this, it requires some risks because playing the safety game is not necessarily going to uh, make make it as attainable as it actually is. Thank you so much for all of your wonderful work. And and I will put in the show notes links to your um, your website, your not for profit uh, and anything else that you want, you know, people to be able to connect with you over. Thank you so much. And I love this conversation. You are awesome. Thank you. You are too. What a great interview. Okay. Well, you know what? Something that came out of this for me was when someone or something is getting hurt, whether it's a human, another animal, 
or the planet, it's important to point a finger and say that it is wrong. So if you want more lessons about life, love, compassion, and forgiveness with a slew of animals thrown into the mix, get your copy of The Water Tree Way by Ruth Mendelson. You're going to find all of the links that you need on the show notes, which you can access at jenniferverdelin.com or on Wild Connection, the podcast hosted by Podbean. Next week, we have uh, animal migrations using the magnetic field. So be prepared for a really fun discussion about animals that wiggle with purpose. Thanks for listening.